I'm here talking to Kendall. I'm here talking to Annie. Kendall's story. I'm discussing the highway murder of Cheryl Keaton. Content warnings are domestic violence and your husband sleeping with the babysitter again. Sources are in the show notes. Everything is alleged, but this is definitely Tell No One. All right. It's September 21st, 1986 on the Sunset Highway in Oregon. There's a dark minivan with its light off sitting perpendicular in the left lane. Perpendicular meaning... I was hoping you weren't going to ask me about that. <laughs> I mean, like, perpendicular. Horizontal, right? Yeah. Like, like a cr- in the way. Yeah, okay. In the way, dangerous. Yeah. It's just that people can't really see it. Oh. It's a dark color. The lights are off, and it's sitting in the middle of the fast lane. Okay. We're, we're at night? We're at 8.30 p.m. Oh, no. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? <laughs> a driver named Randy pulls up on the scene. He's like... What the hell is this? Yeah, I I would call the police, I think. Oh, yeah. Someone's going to hit them. Right, 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 right. He's like, someone's going to hit them, and I think I see a car seat. Oh, fuck you. So, like, is there a kid in there? Like, is someone having, like, a medical emerge? What's yeah. going on? Yeah. So, he pulls over, runs over to the van. The engine is running. The van is in drive, and it's, like, pushing. The front bumper is against the corridor. Like yeah, a metal. Yeah. And it's just ramming and ramming well, into it. It is in motion. It's in motion. It's in drive. It's in drive. He opens the driver's door and sees someone laying in the front seat. Their legs are in the front seat and their back is on the passenger seat. So like laying across the yeah, whole thing. They too are perpendicular. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> and horizontal. And the head is like hanging low on the chest. Yeah. Doesn't look good. The face is so badly bloodied and disfigured that he cannot tell if it is a man or a woman, but he can surmise it's a woman because the shoes are small. Um, the accelerator was jammed down with a purse. Oh. The child seat was empty. He checked in the back and everywhere for a kid. There was no kid. There were pools of blood all over the car. So you killed some girl and you put her in a car. Uh-huh. And then you put her right where someone else could hit her and also die, maybe. So there are pools of blood and the driver's side window was splattered with blood. He backed the van out of the road because he's like, someone's going to hit this and he die. He got in the car. Yeah. Well, sure. I don't know. He did um, put up a flare. So a like, fucking flare. Yeah. So people would be like, something's happening. Randy's a good guy. He backed the van. Yeah. And looked at the person. She's clearly unresponsive. Remember that. Now, how do we end up here? I'm so glad you asked. Cheryl Keaton married her first husband, Dan, after she graduated from the University of Washington. Dan went to law school and their plan was he would go to law school and then she would go to law school just because they couldn't both afford to be in school, I guess, at the sure, same time. Sure, sure. Or one person had to be working. <laughs> yeah. Cheryl and Dan were high school sweethearts. And Cheryl's friend, Lauren, was married to a guy named Brad Cunningham. Um, and so they would do like a couple things together, Cheryl and Dan and Lauren and Brad. Mm-hmm. In 1977, Lauren is pregnant. Um, Brad, her husband, is like putting on the air of being very successful. He's showy with his money. Oh my God, we're in deep debt, aren't we? He has many cars. We're fucking, we're, we're living out our means. Yeah, we are. Cheryl starts law school. One night over like a dinner between the, the couples, Brad offered Cheryl a part-time job at his business because she like is a student and like can only work part-time. What is your business, Brad? It's like real estate business, like commercial real estate. And I won't go farther into that. Months into the job, Brad and Lauren have a Thanksgiving party. 
Lauren is still pregnant and is like making her fucking macaroons or whatever the hell in the kitchen. The yams. The yams. She's doing everything. She's slaving over her garlic confit. All right. Yeah. Just Uh, like you. Just like me. Dan comes in and tells Lauren, listen, sister, both of our marriages are in trouble. Oh, fuck. If you know what I mean. My wife is sleeping with your husband, methinks. (laughs) (laughs) I fucking loathe to report. I'm sorry to tell you this. So she, he's like, something's going on bef- between Cheryl and Brad. Lauren confronts Brad about it, but he, of course, denies it. It occurred to me this might happen. Yeah. Dan and Cheryl separate when Lauren is still pregnant. Huh. Um, Lauren and Brad stay together at this point. They have not. Sh- I think she's believing him. Believing him. Believing him. But like that Cheryl. Seems like a mistake. <laughs> seems like a mistake. But Cheryl and Dan are just like, this isn't working no matter what. You know what I mean? Sure. And she's not pregnant. They're not like right. having a family. Right. It would be hard to break up if like a new life were in motion already. Right. I'd be like, you know, oh, gotta see, gotta see it through my boy. <laughs> <laughs> Got to see it through. <laughs> so December. Okay. So this happened at the Thanksgiving party. It's now December. Um, Lauren and Brad are about to like move into a new house. Oh my God. She has so much going on. She's pregnant. She They're has moving. so much going on. The she's holidays. packing. Oh my God. Okay. So she's packing for a move and Brad comes in and says, yeah, dude. Uh, Dan was right. Uh, I am having an affair with Cheryl. My relationship with Cheryl is way more satisfying. <gasps> and you're moving alone. No, no, no. <laughs> Bye. You was right. You was right. You <laughs> was right. No. Yeah, she's six months I'm pregnant. I'm moving alone, you said? Yeah, you're moving to the house. I'm not coming. Well, what are we going to do about the fucking mortgage or whatever? No, not my problem. Not your problem. Not my circus, not my monkeys. This is your monkey. This is your monkey. That is really, really <laughs> crazy of him. Lauren is more upset with Cheryl than with Brad because she's like, you're my gal friend and you slept with my husband. I get I get that. I think friends have like an implicit vow, but like yeah. you made a literal vow with your husband. Yeah. But it's like, I don't expect much from men. You know what I mean? I know. But like, if we don't expect, we never get. Right. All right. So let's, <laughs> let's talk about Brad. I don't want to. Lauren was his third wife. How old is Brad? He's in his 20s, baby. No. Live fast, die young. (laughs) No. No. Yeah. Let's talk about Brad. Your third wife in your your 20s. Yeah. It just doesn't have to be like that. (laughs) No. no, (laughs) You don't have to keep marrying them. But we'll see his move. We'll see what he does. Okay. All right. So let's... Zoop, back to the 60s, all right? Zoop, zoop, zoop. Yeah. Lonnie Ann is um, Brad's high school sweetheart or whatever. Lonnie Ann. It's the 60s. She's a surfer. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> that's fine. She's a member of the Beach Boys, but go on. <laughs> yeah, she wishes. <laughs> okay. That is a bad um so he he's like a year older and he goes to college and he's like a football player and she's a little like oh no i'm gonna date a co-ed and i'm in high school yeah so she um either on purpose or accidentally becomes pregnant and then she gets hit with a rock then they get married fucking rock in 1969 he's 20 and she's 17 Mm. um so this is the time of the hippie, the the free love, and he is very much a business suit dude. Ew, dude. He's already, like, really off-putting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, People who are, like, so resistant to, like, what everyone, what is, like, happening politically and culturally yeah. are weird. Um, Kate, their daughter Kate was born, um, and he pretty much immediately starts talking down to Lonnie Ann. He would only allow her to wear mini dresses and tube tops. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> he threw away all her other clothes. He sounds like my mom. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> only two tops, Annie. <laughs> no, truly, like, Cowboy what is hats. that about? He just wants to humiliate her, I think. Do you think, or do you think he's like, I want to have a hot wife? No, he's like, you're a slut, and you oh, look like it. Oh, what the fuck? Yeah. Um, he starts to become physical with her. He pushes her and bangs her head into the wall. Oof. He is, at the same time, possessive of her and disgusted by her. Well, that is how men do it. That is how men do it. Um, Sorry, I know that is we're relentless with how much we bash on men, but like once they, I'll let up when they let up. (laughs) (laughs) I'll let up when they let up. They started it. (laughs) He drops out of school. Whatever. He starts his own business as a quote real estate entrepreneur embezzler in the 1970s. Embezzler. Yeah, I mean, let's just say I don't know if he's like filing income taxes. No one's an entrepreneur, right? I'm so sorry that that is the truth. Period. Um, th- their second child, Brent, was born 18 months after Kate. Brent. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> Lonnie Ann was not allowed to take them outside to play without calling him at work and asking permission first. How would he? How would he even know? He's at work. I don't know. She's so. But we're just scared, fucking scared I think. of him, huh? If she didn't answer the phone when he called, he would leave work and come home to see what she was doing. Yeah, he he isn't going to change. He has to be to be put down. Like he's a tiger doesn't change its stripes and he's exhibiting some really fucking weird stripes. For real. Put him down. This is haunting. Okay. <laughs> Memorial Day 1971. They go to a party, she gets lit. I mean, on, she doesn't get to leave the house very often, all right? Yeah, whatever. And I'm sure she's like her tolerance is low. Yeah, she's not drink. having a ton of fun lately. Yeah. Guys, listen. Ask okay. Brad. I'm not having a ton of fun lately. <laughs> so she gets lit and she te- she confides in some women that she was being abused. Yeah, perfect. Good. And this gets Brad to Brad. He finds out and he's furious. So at the party, I would be interested to know how it got back to Brad girls who told Brad. I don't know, but it's almost simultaneous because he finds out at the party. So either he overhears. Yeah. Maybe they're, maybe she's not being discreet. Yeah. Like maybe a guy's like, they're talking over there. What the fuck everybody. So she ends up getting sick and vomiting in the bathroom at the party. Good for her. And Brad like drags her out and she like blacks out. So when she wakes up, they were driving on a dark road and she feels like really, really terrible. Um, He stops the car. He brings her. He like drags her out and says, you stay here. She says she's like too drunk to walk. He sits her on the ground and drives away in the dark. What? (laughs) She begins to like feel her way around because she's like nowhere. Like she doesn't know where she is. Wait, is she like in the middle of the road or is she like by the side of the road in the middle of nowhere? We will find out. Kendall, what are you telling me? (laughs) So she begins to crawl. And she sees like some lights in the distance. I don't want to crawl. I so don't want to crawl outside. Crawls her way to a gas station. She okay. actually gets there and calls the police. And they didn't believe her, obviously. They don't believe her. They can't no. do anything. They're like, you're drunk. What are you doing? Okay. Being drunk doesn't mean I'm making shit up. Although it sometimes it does. Though it sometimes does. <laughs> <laughs> they drive her to her in-law's house. And then they just like never really talk about it again. But a few months later, she eventually like somehow manages to get the car and like for a day and she's like i'm gonna go back to like where he brought me to okay. see like where it is in the okay. daylight and she goes god what is it a and tiger pen <laughs> and right where he had dropped her facing was a 30 foot drop off cliff a cliff yeah that occurred to me she was cr- like crawling in that direction of a fucking cliff if she had crawled differently yeah. she would have fallen she off had a gone fucking cliff forward he put faced her off the cliff 
He took a drunk girl and put her right next to a cliff and t- spun her on like she was going to hit a fucking pinata. Yeah. And was like, fall off the cliff. Yeah. What? That's even crazier because it's like he could have just thrown her, but he like wanted to make the, it a weird torture game. And also to protect himself in terms of like, she literally walked, walked off a cliff. Yeah. Like, sorry, my drunk bitch wife walked off a cliff. Somehow crawled to a cliff. Like, got Jesus. from the party to a cliff. Yeah. <laughs> How'd that happen? You're right, though. That is that is scarier than if he had just like thrown her off. Yeah, isn't it? Yeah. He's got a lot going on mentally. Mm-hmm. Brad is Scary. complicated. <laughs> Brad is complicated. <laughs> uh, he's complex. Uh, so she, a little while after this, asks for a divorce. Mm-hmm. And of course, he's like, you will never see your kids again. Blah, 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 blah. Whatever. Um, so here's a little side note. Brad's dad isn't very nice either. I wouldn't think he was, man. So Brad's dad, Sanford, is having an affair with another lady. Um, and he calls Brad and he's like, hey, this is what we're going to do. We're going to convince your mom, Rosemary, to go on a two-week vacation. And when she comes back, we'll have cleaned the house out. Um. Yeah, Brad was taught from a young age to fucking hate women and treat them really fucking bad. Yeah. So when she came back from the trip, Th- that is they his were gone. literal mother, and he has no qualms about fucking her over like that. He ends up never really speaking to her again. Wow, Brad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Some people aren't worth the trouble. That's like, what we're he should treat. He he should go. <laughs> so it's the 1970s. There are no domestic Rules. violence shelters to be seen. Okay. For Lanier in here. All right. He tells her one day I could kill you in our apartment and make it look like a quote rape killing, which is like, are you a hundred years old? Why are you saying rape killing? Well, a rape killing, he's, well, he's like square and it's 50 years ago. So he's acting like it's 1920. Yeah. They're like sex murder. Yeah. A rape killing. Yeah. So eventually her sister comes and helps her finally move out. Mm -hmm. They divorce in 1973 and he would send child support checks, but then stop payment on them before she could cash them. Classic. Again, a weird mind game. You're piece of shit yeah and so it would look like and you're weird for like state assistance it looked like she was getting help like because the checks were being sent <sighs> interesting that they weren't there was no follow-up to be like but was the money was the check good there will be when they have a custody battle stuff okay second wife cynthia comes into the picture run girl she is a wealthy older woman that is kind of cool she is 15 years older than brad uh he is 25 at this point She's a wealthy divorcee with a six-bedroom estate and three sons who are like teens. So Brad told her, of course, that Lonnie Ann was a horrible mother. And was just it- a whore. Yes, of course. Cynthia's sons who are like teens are like, I hate this guy. Yeah. Like he's like five years older than me. Yeah. And he's a prick. And he's a prick, <laughs> mom. <laughs> Sorry. So this is, they start having custody hearings for Kate and Brent because he wants custody just to hurt Lonnie Ann. He doesn't yeah. want the kids. The thing is like, why do you even fucking care anymore? Just to hurt her. Truly. They're just pawns to hurt. People who like just live to enforce their power over other people. Yeah. You're not going to have a good life, brother. It's not going to work out well for you. For nobody. Lonnie, of course, couldn't afford an attorney. Oh my God. He's a sugar mama though. Mm -hmm. Fuck. Yes. So he was very confident. And what does she think? She's doing the right thing? Yes. His new wife testified in his favor saying he should get custody of the kids. Like a character witness? Just like he's a good boy? Uh Uh-huh. He's a good dad. Rosemary Brad's mom testified for Lonnie Ann. Oh, cool. And Stanford, or what's his name? Sanford. Sanford. Fucking not a name, but okay. Was asked to testify for Brad. And when he's on the stand, he's like, "Uh, it could go either way. (laughs) 
no loyalty no he's gonna get up there and say you know what i don't really give a fuck yeah <laughs> he's like Could i go actually don't way. give a flying fuck yeah you play with hogs you get dirty yep totally <laughs> totally <laughs> so lonnie ann was awarded custody and he coincidentally seemed to lose interest in cynthia after this um no really need for her anymore um he began abusing her broke her collarbone at one point oh no um and they divorced in 1975 yeah and here's lauren the third wife we know her well so before she even had time to give birth to the baby brad had filed for custody of the baby the baby that's in my body. Yeah, he wants it. You want custody of the creature in my belly? <laughs> creature! Well, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it yeah. is like literally just like a part of me right now. I want it right when it comes out, though, fresh. What? That? Yeah. I, I don't know why that is deeply, like, more than anything else you said. That's very upsetting to me. Yeah, it's gross. Scary that that could possibly even happen. Okay. Um, he, and he's like fucking her friend. Yeah. I'm in hell. Yeah, it's just terrible. He's basically just like making her life living hell. He's fighting her for everything. She has the baby and a day after he called her hospital room to let her know that he had her car repossessed. What? She gets custody of their daughter, Amy, but Brad gets visitation. Doesn't seem right, but okay. No. And that's his third kid now. So Cheryl and Brad marry. Oh my God, Cheryl, does this seem like a good fucking idea? You're his fourth wife. He's 28. <laughs> yeah. Um, she was two months pregnant when they got married. Holy shit, Brad. You're joking. Yeah. You think that's his, his thing? I think it traps. Her. And he knows like, I can make him cry forever now. Like, yeah. you know, you're right. It traps the women and it is like a permanent lifetime pawn for him yeah. to like fuck with them. Like I know what will make them the saddest of all time. Or like I'm going to give them their biggest weakness. Yeah. Yeah. I hate him. I and hate him. I, I hate him. I, I hate him. I have 50% claim. Yeah. And I can make your life living hell. Like you can get over material stuff. You get know? your own life, brother. He can't. Their son, Jess, was born in 1979. Um, and this is when he gets a deal. Brad gets a deal to build a like kind of like a strip mall thing mm. in Houston, Texas for $6 million. So Cheryl ups her law practice, like leaves, stops practicing law so they can move to Houston for this big deal. Okay. Okay. Their second son, Michael, was born in Houston. Brad was there in the hospital for the birth, but did not return until three days later to pick them up. Okay. Cheryl agrees to be a stay-at-home mom for this point, but the finances were not as good as he made her believe. Yeah, dude. 1982. And details, details, bottom line <laughs> is the, the project doesn't work out. Um, he doesn't get the money. It doesn't get built. But, but like, he says it's like the construction company's fault. So he's like, I'm going to sue them now. Like it's a whole <sighs> thing where he's been wronged. Blah, 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 blah. Okay, sure, Brad. So now they don't have any money. So to get them out of their problem, Cheryl's like, let me go back to Washington where I'm licensed to work and I will work as an attorney there. Sure. She moves into, she like rents a place in Brainbridge, Bainbridge Island and sends money back to Brad in Houston. Um, he stays there until spring 1983 and he comes to visit. Um, when he's back in the States or in the, in the state, he now has visits with his other children and Kate is older now from the first marriage, Lonnie yeah. Ann. And he basically just takes her and brings her back to Houston with him. You can't just take a middle schooler and relocate her. Yeah. He's like, does some weird shit with her there. He like tortures her basically. Like he throws away all her clothes and like makes her wear like rags to school. And she lives with him there for like a year. Brad, 
You gotta leave girls alone. For you real. You can't stop. For He's real. Crazy. You have a son you could torture. But you're not doing to. that. He doesn't want to. But I don't see you torturing him. He goes back to Washington and drops Kate back off at her mom's house and doesn't speak to her for years after that. <laughs> what? <laughs> no, what was all this then? Yeah. She's like, I had a rough year. For sure. Um, so Cheryl is basically working her ass off. Um, she's pregnant with their third child now. Cheryl, this isn't good. Brad is a big spender, of course. He only drives like Mercedes. He tells her he wants to go to Yakima to start a car wash in a laundromat, which is my plan. Would love to own a laundromat. You would. Just raking the money, sister. Raking it in. Right, right, right. She decided to rent a house in Somerset to be closer to her work, and he moved to Yakima. And weeks would pass without him visiting her or their kids. Yeah, he doesn't sincerely give a fuck about you it's yeah. just about like what he can get from you in terms of his own ego and power whatever the fuck yeah yeah go on so she tells she confides in a friend quote if i leave him i know he will kill me a week Ooh. before she gave birth to their third son okay so i was assuming that she, he wasn't being violent with her or terrifying her i don't, I don't know, know if he's being physically violent but he's definitely scary he's controlling and whatever yeah um, so their son, Philip is born and right after he's born, Brad visits with a brand new puppy. He got her. Yay. Thank you. More work for me. More work for me. I but love that. Fucking cool. And now he starts vaguely talking about outside enemies. Okay. No. Mm-mm, pass. Cause um, now, cause now he's going to pull them out of school and now he's going to become a prophet. Well, so he's like, I'm suing these big construction firms and not Houston, big construction and they're, well, that's the mob sister. And they're oh, gonna fuck. And they're gonna come and kill us all. And stop suing them. Stop suing. Cut your losses. <laughs> <laughs> at the same time, after she just gave fucking birth and is dealing with all this fucking stress, she's offered a partnership at her law firm in the Portland, Oregon office. Okay, she's a good lawyer. So Brad agrees to move there. Oh, you agree? You're yeah, gonna, right. Oh, we're, we're allowed. I've only been dedicating my whole fucking life to you. And I'm a lawyer. Yeah. And you're nothing. nothing. You're like, you literally are nothing. You don't have a fucking job. You're an amoeba. You have like 10 fronts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're not even getting the money though. No. Like be in the mob, but bring home the bacon. If you're going to swindle, just fucking do it. Don't be weird. You dumb can't even swindle. It. Okay. So they hire a 19 year old to babysit while Brad went job searching. Oh, fuck. And he gets a job at a bank, but he's still, you know, incurring debt faster than they could ever earn it. Fucking how, dude? What do you need? He's buying like these fancy motorcycles that he has literally never driven. Ew. And will not sell. Like he's just like collecting like expensive toys. (laughs) Yeah. Um, He is starting affairs with women at the bank and the babysitter. We saw that coming. Yeah. And at the same time, he starts accusing Cheryl of cheating, of course, because that will happen. Yeah. As soon as your partner accuses you of cheating, they are cheating. Uh, this is when he starts fucking around. All right. He calls. This is when he begins fucking yeah, around. Yeah, I don't know. Well, this <laughs> is when he like starts doing really bad stuff to Cheryl. Okay. okay. So he calls the wife of a senior partner at Cheryl's firm and no. says Cheryl was sleeping with him, with her husband. Okay. Now you're embarrassing me. The wife just calls Cheryl and is like, come get your man. Yeah. He's being an idiot. Um, he invites another male partner to lunch and tells him that they're separating because Cheryl is promiscuous, a nymphomaniac, and also asks, how much is in her retirement fund? Yeah, he's gonna kill ya. The guy called Cheryl immediately and he's like, this guy's fucking crazy. Yeah, there's a weird thing where guys like that or people like that don't know that they are not the smartest guy in the fucking room. Right. You're talking to lawyers. And they're like, I know 
Cheryl. She's a, she's smart as a whip. She made partner in like two years. Yeah. She's actually like kind With of three kids brilliant. and yeah. you're doing nothing. So no one at the firm believes what he's saying, but of course she's embarrassed, but it doesn't yeah. like affect her career at all. Thank yeah, but God. you'd be fucking humiliated. Yes. So at this point, she begins to find bruises on her children. And oh. this is final straw for Cheryl. She asks Brad to move out and he rents himself a very expensive apartment. Cost almost as twice as much as the family place they were living in. Why? Dude, why? To collect more women, I think. He's crazy, dude. You're going to go to like white collar prison. I'm worried. She was stuck with tons of debt. And he was just telling people all around town that she was a nymphomaniac. The boys would stay with Cheryl during the week and he would have them on the weekends. At one point, Cheryl is sure something is off with her van. She takes it to the mechanic and her carburetor was messed up and she believed it was probably him. It was him. You're right. So guess what? He finds a new rich girlfriend. How does he keep doing that? Sarah Gordon. Um, Sarah is an anesthesiologist. Cool. Um, she was introduced to Brad by a woman at the bank who had been sleeping with him. But okay, was like, girls. try him out, Sarah. He's great. <laughs> okay, girls. Um, he is obviously telling Sarah Cheryl is like the worst. She's a horrible mother. She's abusing the kids. She's... Same old shit from Brad. Exactly. Okay, so here we go. It is September 21st, 1986. For the past few months, Cheryl's half-brother Jim has been living with her and her sons just to be like, She's like, I work, I'm a lawyer. I, like, need, I need someone here. Yeah. Like, come live with us for a while. Yeah. Um, he's with his girlfriend this weekend. It's a weekend. It's a Sunday because the boys are with Brad. Boys are supposed to be back at 730, but they aren't yet. Mm -hmm. um, so Cheryl calls Jim. He's not at the house yet because <clears throat> he's with his girlfriend. And she's like really upset because Brad called and said, I have car trouble and I can't bring the boys to your house. Sure. Cheryl's also calling her mom at this point saying like, I'm going to have to go pick them up. Basically. Mm. Jim's like, okay, whatever. Jim arrives to their house at around nine o'clock and he finds a note that says, I went to pick up the boys from Brad at the mobile station. If I'm not back, please come right away in all capitals. Okay. Fuck man. We're scared of Brad, aren't we? Yeah. Everybody, every girl he knows, we're fucking scared of him. Yeah. Jim calls their mother, who answers, and immediately starts sobbing when, when he mm. tells her what's going on. Okay. And she says, she's dead. She called her, and I told her not to meet Brad alone. I just know that she's dead. Wow. So Jim drives to the mobile station that she's talking about, and it is closed, closed. Like, not closed for the night, like, closed under construction. Oh, okay. Like... It was weird that he would want to meet her there where no one else's would be and there are no lights. Okay. Okay? No one's there. Yeah. When he arrives back home, the police are already there and notify him that she, that Cheryl is dead. She was the woman in the car? Yeah. He exclaims to the police, that bastard killed her. Yeah. So they go to Brad's house. Four police officers go to Brad's house because they're like, this is not a car accident. This is bizarre. This is you a murder. You fucking wish it were. Right. So they go to Brad's house to notify him and the f and he's in jogging clothes and he looks very awake for like late at night. Yeah. And so they tell him and the first thing he says is, was it a traffic accident? And they're like, no, it was murder. He's like, do I need an attorney? And they're like, maybe. So they talk to him for a little bit and then his attorney stops the questioning. He calls his girlfriend, Sarah, and is like, oh my God, this is crazy. Um, Cheryl's dead, but I had nothing to do with it. Uh-huh. Sarah's like, okay. 
If your boyfriend ever calls you and tells you his ex-wife is dead, his fourth wife is dead, yeah. he had nothing to do with it. Yeah. He absolutely has something to do with it. Right. So Brad tells her that the Friday before, he had overheard Cheryl and her mom plotting <sighs> to poison him. Okay, man. <laughs> You're you gotta ridiculous. shut the fuck up. You gotta shut up sometimes. Brad can't shut up. Fucking take a minute. Take a beat. Go to a retreat. You're embarrassing. Get it fucking together. You've been running, running, running on your weird schemes for like 20 years at this Aren't point. Aren't you tired? Aren't you fucking empty? Yeah. Don't you need to check into like passages? Promises. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> What's passages? Anything? I think it's something. Okay. Um. So the medical examiner says Cheryl was struck over 20 times. She was like bashed in her head. In. <laughs> yeah. Her jaw was broken. Her teeth were broken and they found one in the backseat of the car. Okay. Her brain had been displaced and compressed by enormous swelling and something called a contracoup injury, which is like you're hit so hard on one side of your head that your brain actually damaged itself on the other because it hits so hard skull? on the skull. Okay, Brad, you son of a bitch. Yeah. She had many defensive wounds on her hands and feet. She's trying to kick. Yeah. Oh. They could only speculate about the weapon, which they surmise would be like something like a tire iron. Yeah. So Sarah's like, well, um, sad that Cheryl's dead, but she was a monster. Like she was terrorizing Brad. Sarah, my boyfriend you, Brad. Do you honestly think it is every woman he encounters happens to be a fucking evil, scornful bitch? Right. Or is it, what is the link, Sarah? The th- what is the link? The thing is, is like Cheryl's a lawyer. She's a doctor. Like he's getting these very smart women. I'm not saying that like only dumb people are victims of domestic violence but you know what i mean of course not but it is like it's jarring when someone's so manipulative that they can convince very intelligent people that they are something they're fucking not yeah smoking mirrors he's fucking smoking mirrors (laughs) he tells sarah that cheryl's murder was because of the violent plot to eliminate him and his entire family eliminate him i'm a working mom of three yeah so he's really putting on a show now but being like they're out to get us so he's like arranging soda cans filled with pennies he's like if anyone comes in it'll be knocked over and like oh my god like he's (laughs) prepping for the night stalker yeah and like ropes everywhere and he gives his teenage son brent a loaded gun okay cool Cool. i love when these men create more of themselves yeah i know And then he like wouldn't say anything. He wouldn't go into detail about these enemies. That's all I'm saying. Whatever. So he's like, I have my construction enemies and also Cheryl's family is plotting to kill me as well. My construction enemies <laughs> and then my family enemies. It's crazy. People hate me. Yeah, they love to hate me. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the Tuesday after her murder, he calls Sarah and is like, I hired a defense attorney. Write the check, baby. Sugar mommy. So she... <laughs> She writes out a check for $5,000 for the attorney's retainer. Sure. Bankrolling my murderous boyfriend. Whatever. Girl boss. Okay. So let's talk about the witnesses. I only wrote their witnesses' names down because it's Jack and Danielle Daniels. (laughs) (laughs) You know that she was like, look, I love him. And (laughs) and I'm willing to take the name. So a little after 8 p.m. on the night of the murder, they see a van. So they live nearby the highway. They see a van. Like where the car ended up? Yes. Okay. They see a van straight across from their house. Jack sees two people in the front seat. Danielle was inside watching the Emmys. Okay, bitch. (laughs) (laughs) But she heard a loud banging between 8 and 8.40. And a man came around knocking 20 minutes later, and that was Randy. Being like, help! 
the banging that was he- he- hearing the car in the car yes and i don't think she meant from eight till eight forty. i think she just meant between, sometime yeah, between yeah. eight and eight forty. Yeah. yeah but i mean like to hear activity from a car on the highway near your home yeah loud activity in that fucking car with the emmys on i'm focused i bet the golden girls were were sweeping probably but something stole my attention had to be big so there's another guy driving he's heading out to work at night all right Mm -hmm. he's going out to work and his way is blocked by a van around 8 p.m correct but it's driving and it's going like pretty slow he's like i'm in a hurry and the driver looked like it didn't know where it was going he was sure that the driver was a man because if it was a woman he would have offered help absolutely (laughs) now that is the one perk of being a woman (laughs) i would have given her a little kiss (laughs) a couple called and reported they had seen a quote strong man jogging on the side of the freeway around the time oh we're jogging we're in the sweatsuit so brad brad the jogger whom police found in his jogging jogging outfit Yeah. yeah Okay. So Sarah, Brad, and the boys are constantly on the move from his enemies. Why are we on the move? Like, what? how are we moving? We're moving from, like, San Antonio to Dallas? It's what so are we stupid. doing? Well, we're in Oregon now. The little boys were subpoenaed, which is sucks. Um, Jess is it six. Is sucks. Michael's four. Um, Jess says that his dad had gone jogging. And left you home alone? And left him home alone. They're six and four, you say? And I'm not clear if... Yeah, Jess and Michael were left home alone, and he took the baby Philip, um, who would be really young, or Mm. if he took Michael and Philip, or Philip wasn't there. All I know is that Jess was at home, and he had taken one kid with him. I'm I'm over Brad. Yeah, so Jess said he watched a movie, and Michael, when he's questioned about it, he hides on the table and refuses to talk. So that makes me think that Michael went with him. But I don't know. Oh my God, Kendall. Yeah. There was one print in blood on the passenger door. Um, and that turned out to be Randy because he had driven the car. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I do. Um, DNA testing was not yet available. It's 1986. On Thursday, Sarah and Brad showered together and she noticed a softball sized bruise under his left arm. It was fresh. And he says, Oh yeah, I got that from like falling at the jungle gym yeah at the park yeah sarah later learns there was no jungle gym at that park the boldness of having someone else's like defensive marks yeah. on your fucking body yeah. and then being like hey babe let's get fucking naked. yeah <laughs> look at me he like, just wants to be like will she still believe me oh no he wants to see how far his like power goes you're sick Brad tells the police when he called Cheryl that night to be like, come pick up the boys that it sounded like she had been drinking. Oh yeah. Um, autopsy shows that was not true. Fuck her. Right. Like even if she had been like, Oh yeah, then fucking kill her. Yeah. Like she got drunk and beat herself to death. Um, so the Sunday of her murder, Cheryl goes to the kids soccer game and she usually wasn't allowed because it's on his weekend. So she's not allowed to even be near them. Okay. I love co-parenting. She tells her mom, I know you don't think he's going to kill me, mom, but he is. Wow. And her mom says, just don't be alone with him and watch out for your car. Okay, so there's some sightings of Brad in his apartment's parking garage that night. They see him walking around around 9 p.m. barefoot with wet hair. Okay. Um, (laughs) And then another neighbor saw him at 730 with his son, Michael, and with keys in his hand, probably going out to... Michael went with him. Oh, Michael. I know. Brad ended up calling this witness later and being like, hey, you saw me that night, right? And she was like, yeah. And he's like, that was eight o'clock, right? And she was like, no, Brad. That was 730. And he just hung up. Holy shit. Um, They searched his apartment. They didn't turn up anything significant. 
and Brad and Sarah get married in 1987. She fucking kidding me. He registers for college and Sarah, of course, pays the tab. His only source of income was to get a $4,000 a month deposit from Cheryl's estate for the boys' expenses. Okay. Which I'm sure went to the boys, right? The boys are in rags like he loves to do. Yeah. By the way, where are your daughters? Oh, oh my God. They're with Lonnie Ann and Lauren. Doesn't give a fuck. Doesn't give a fuck. I don't want to see dad. Um, 1988, Sarah officially adopts the boys. Even though this is like customary and it's the law, it just sucks that new birth certificates were issued with Sarah written as the mother. Cheryl completely eliminated and erased from their lives. Sarah so generously gives Brad $200,000 to open his dream bakery. Now his dream is a bakery? Yeah. Also notice the years are passing and he's not arrested. I do notice that. 1989, Brad, of course, begins having an affair with a bakery lady. He has to be fucking kidding me. (laughs) He's the info bankrolled by all these girls yeah. and then cheating on them yes you got some nerve brother he's like loving it he's loving it he's a fucking grifter yeah so the marriage starts to fail his fifth oh could it be because you're fucking other people <laughs> because you're fucking crazy <laughs> you're the worst dude ever so this is when sarah starts to be like fuck he's gonna take the boy like i've come i've i love i've them. adopted these kids they're my kids you know like i'm sad about this 100 percent. and she starts to wonder if cheryl was really as bad as he said she oh, was Oh yeah now we're wondering that yes so cheryl's law partners file a civil suit against brad for her death wow which is kind of cool because she must have been well like yeah because they are sick of seeing nothing happen you know cool in 1991 the jury awarded cheryl's estate 80 million dollars um there's no way he would ever pay that but it's symbolic but several jurors said they're we're going to write letters to the attorney general and governor to insist that they file charges criminal charges against brad do we know why they didn't? They just don't have enough evidence at this point. March 1993, a grand jury indicts Brad with murder. Cool. Um, he is arrested. By this time, he had a new girlfriend, Dana, who he who was a nanny of the boys. Who was 19 and a quarter? She was 19 and he had forced her to strip. What? Yeah, I don't even want to talk about it. <laughs> Brad, I think it's time for you to go. I think Brad. it's time for you to go. <laughs> <laughs> so he can't afford the bail obviously um sarah Reed, sarah and him had divorced at this point yeah he can afford the bail his girlfriend dana is like working I'm my working. life away yeah. <laughs> here's your bail yeah here's your bail um sarah read in the paper that he had been arrested and she's like oh my god now's my chance i can maybe get the boys yeah because i am their legal mother yeah cool um she hadn't seen them in three years did when they divorced did did um she just not pursue it because she felt like she wasn't going to get them. Either she wasn't going to get them or she was scared of him. The boys had been living while he was in jail. The boys were living with Brad's uncle. Um, she Who starts, the fuck? I know. He doesn't really care for them. What about their fucking mom, dude? Their mom's dead. No, but she's like legally their oh, mom. <laughs> yeah. Well, she starts visiting and then they move with, in with her. Brad, and I'm sure the boys are totally normal now. I I feel bad for them. No, me too. Oh, I wish I could Google them. Brad would tell them lies over the phone, obviously. Like Sarah's dad. evil. And it's like, how can all my moms be evil, dad? I hope the boys were at least like, okay, dad, but it feels safe here. Right. Like, but she's really nice. And she's an anesthesiologist. Dad, she has fucking video games and shit. <laughs> He would send um, them letters with drawings of batteries and vibrators on it and like his sexual escapades. Like, what? Yeah. For the boys to see. You are very Josh Powell. Yeah. Uh-huh. You're but, weird. Yeah. 
He would also tell them that their mom, Cheryl, was a cocaine addict and that Sarah was a bisexual nymphomaniac. I fucking wish. (laughs) I wish. So basically, a psychiatrist testifies in his trial that he saw his kids as possessions and alibi witnesses. Yeah. And that he was a malignant narcissist. Yeah. Antisocial personality disorder. Yeah. And guess what? Uh, you know it. there's another diagnosis no you know what happens at the trial he represents himself yes <laughs> <laughs> but the jury really zeroed in on the note that cheryl left because it's like i'm going to see my husband and then she dies yeah couldn't be clearer yeah and she told her mom that day he, he's gonna fucking kill me while i'm there she basically wrote a note like going to my death to meet brad please come help please help i have to get my kids though dude Ugh. his dna I gotta throw my hands up <laughs> Let go and let God, honestly. (laughs) Um, His DNA was found on Cheryl's hair, but it was so like elementary science that it was like a 90% chance that it was his DNA, which just isn't good enough for the jury the shadow of whatever. Right. Like the 10% is like a big doubt. But he is convicted. I love that they were like, I have a gut feeling. (laughs) Yeah, like, no, please. So he's convicted and sentenced to a minimum of 22 years. In 1996, he had a hearing to have his minimum reduced. Sarah presented the threatening letters, and they really focused in on his carelessness for human life because he left that van in the fucking road. So they're like, you could have killed many more people, and you obviously didn't give a fuck. Yeah. He basically said, because of my education, I'm unlikely to commit another crime of passion like this. And Mm -hmm. they're like, you're wrong for that. What do you mean by that? (laughs) Explain. We've all been to college, Brad. They denied this and ended up adding years, (laughs) rejecting his his parole in advance. (laughs) Cool. So yeah, they were like, and don't don't bring this up again. I don't want to see your fucking face in twenty two years. When a kid, when they get like a timeout and they come to you and are like, "How much longer?" and you're like, "I'm adding a minute." Yeah, (laughs) yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so they rejected his parole twenty two years in advance. Gorgeous. So in 2004, of course, he appealed based on hearsay evidence. He his lawyers said that the note that Cheryl left was hearsay. That was denied. So how do I know about this case? Is because Miss Anne Rule wrote an amazing book called Dead by Sunset. Mm. It's really just amazing. She goes into such detail. Brad did not like this. So he ended up writing his own book called Anne Rule Deconstructed, in which he just said she was terrible yeah holy shit yes how did he even fill a book with that i don't know i think he was just like she makes things up or like she's a bad author it's like a it's like a thesaurus for cunt yeah (laughs) and and was like no shit off my like i'm not scared of you at all i worked the phone banks with ted bundy yeah like i've got it i'm absolutely cool and last we've heard from him he tried to sue the oregon prison system for such a weird man because they don't allow inmates to purchase porn through the mail. Brad, methinks you are the nymphomaniac. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay, it, Brad. Girl, shocked by your behavior. How sad. Yeah, everyone that encountered him was fucked up. Uh, yeah, you could say that again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Totally. I feel bad. I mean, all right. Holy cow. Yeah, well, I mean, feel free to absorb that information. Feel free to share that information as for where you heard it. Tell no one. Seriously. Goodbye. Goodbye. (laughs) 